Um, we're in week two of our series called Sexual Revolution, and um, it's kind of an odd thing to talk about at church to most people, but I think the exact reason why we're having so many problems in our culture surrounding sex is because the church has not talked about it when it should. And so I just want you to know I'm not even afraid. I'm going to just talk about it. And um, and I'm probably going to say some things that are going to offend some people. I know the last time I preached, I had a couple people walk out during the message, which I always feel like that I'm on the right track if somebody walks out during the message. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why our greeting team is so important to me, because I want them to make you feel so welcomed when you walk through the door that I can make you uncomfortable and confront you with the gospel and just... Let it soak in, okay? Um, truth is, is okay. Truth is not a bad thing. We live in a culture that will change truth in order to make people feel comfortable. I don't think that's okay. I don't believe that we should change truth so we don't hurt somebody's feelings. I think we've got to be deliberate about how we present truth. I don't think we need to be mean, but I think we need to tell the truth about stuff. And um, sex is one of those things. T- today, guys, I'm going to be speaking primarily to you. Um, and this is not a beat up the guys week. I really am hoping to inspire us as men to live differently so that the ladies around us can see the love of Christ reflected through us, okay? So I'm going to skip over. I was going to kind of recap what I preached on last time, but if you want to hear the last sermon I preached in this series, um, it's online. It's also on our Facebook page. Um, so check it out. Um, so just kind of to give you some context, the, the culture in which this biblical truth, so what I'm talking about right now is kind of a different idea than what our culture has about sex, about the way that things work um, in male-female relationships and in terms of how women are to be treated. This is a very, very different concept than what the world promotes. And um, it's kind of a new idea in our culture, even though it's a 2,000-year-old idea. And um, it's interesting because when Jesus first introduced teaching, Um, Jesus did more for the women's liberation movement than any person in human history ever did. The context in which Jesus speaks into, in which John and and Peter and Paul speak into about women, um, it it was a a culture that was crazy. Um, Our culture really treats women as a commodity, Okay, the world that, you, that we live in treats women as a commodity. What is a commodity? A commodity just simply is, is something that can be traded. It's something that has a determined value and can be traded for something of greater value whenever it's perceived as no longer of worth. And women in our culture are treated this way. They're just kind of, hey, oh man, she's hot. I think I wanna go after her. And then once you um, have gotten everything you want out of her, then you can move on to somebody else of perceived greater value, right? And every magazine cover parades women as commodities, right? Something to be looked at, gawked at, observed. I've heard men say, oh, I'm just kind of feeding my eyes right now. And I'm like, really? I'm about to feed the back of your head with my hand. 
That's, you know, that's how I, in Jesus' name, in love, you know, that's what I want to do, though. It makes me angry because that's not the biblical worldview for women. Every, have you guys paid attention to the songs that get played on the radio? Have you paid attention to the songs that you see little girls walking around singing and dancing to? Little girls, like my Abby's age, singing and dancing. They're, they are so over-sexualized and demeaning to women. And I'm like, this is the message that our little girls are singing to themselves. And we're okay with it. I'm going to tell you something, gang. I'm not okay with it. The message that we need to be sending to our ladies, to our daughters, to our sisters, to our wives, is you are valuable. You're not to be traded away and disposed of at will. You're more than something or someone to be looked at and observed. You have value in yourself. And men, you've been sold a bill of goods by our culture. You've been sold a bill of goods, and that is that women are a commodity. And even more so in the culture that Jesus lived in, women were literally treated a little higher than slaves. They were literally bought and sold, traded. It got so bad in the first century that prostitution was used as a form of birth control. Men said, it's just too complicated. And if I have a lot of kids, then I'm going to have to divide my inheritance. And really, kids end up being kind of morons. And we don't want them. And we want to pass on our name to somebody who is, is a person of, of honor and integrity. And so what literally what people would do is they would have sex with prostitutes on a regular basis to satisfy themselves sexually. They would be dismissive of their wives. And then later on, when they got older, they would actually find somebody who was established in community and had a good name, and they would adopt them as a son so that they could give their inheritance to them. That's the way that it worked in the first century. Matter of fact, on two different occasions, it went before the Roman Senate to make marriage a legal requirement. Because it had been so overlooked in the culture. And women were so demeaned and so put down. And so, so um, this is kind of the culture that Jesus spoke into. As a matter of fact, at, um, at one point, it became very common in Jesus' day, if you had a female child, to throw them in the river. Or just set them by the street to die. And people literally would walk by female babies lying on the street and just allow them to die because women had such little value. That's tragic. So when Jesus speaks about women, when Jesus speaks about women's rights, when Peter speaks about women's rights, when Paul speaks about women's rights, what, what they're saying was so cataclysmically different than what the culture believed about women. I'm afraid, though, that our, our culture has moved back into a similar mindset, and you say, whoa, pastor, come on. Women have the right to vote. Women do this. Women can work. Women do, you know, all of these things. But I'm telling you, our culture views women as commodities. And, and all it takes is walking into Target and looking at the swimsuit section. Right? To see, hey, the goal here is to advertise as much of your body as you can as a commodity for men to consume. 
I told you, I'm going I'm to talk straight, and it's going to get more straight as we go, okay? But we're going to look at the scripture on this. Turn to John chapter 13, verse 34. In our culture, we, we think, you know, we've kind of heard this before. I think my grandma might have talked about this once before, about women and how they're supposed to be treated and how men are supposed to be gentlemen and all that stuff. But, but Jesus is bringing it into a new light here. So John chapter 13 Verse 34, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. It's a brand new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. He's, he's kind of sitting down and, and talking to his early disciples and having a conversation with them. And John's the one that's writing this. So I just imagine Jesus saying, hey, John, grab a pen. You need to write this down because this is going to be important. Somebody's going to want to read this one day. Write this down. Love one another. Love one another. Yes, you in the back. Um, even women? Yes, even women. Okay, like... Are you talking about like sexually? No, 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 not sexually. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. Everybody, everyone, everyone, slave, free, men, women, black, white, everybody. Love them and treat them as I have loved you. Verse 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This one, this rule, this law, this statement, this idea, this concept, this philosophy is the one thing that is going to separate us from everybody else. If we will learn to get love right, it will shake the foundation of everything. Get this. Do you know what this means? It means that every woman you ever come in contact with you need to love her like I do. See, the way, that, the way that you've seen me love you, the way that you've seen me wrap a towel around my waist and get down on my knees and serve you and wash your dirty feet, that's what I want you to do. Every woman that you see walk down the street, love her like I've loved you. But, but, but I'm used to checking the girls out, Jesus. Yeah, why don't you try looking her in the eye? Right? Can you imagine Jesus walking down the streets of Baltimore going, mm. check her out. Guys, can you imagine that? So stop. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul comes along, gives us a little context. It's amazing how somebody becomes human when you look in their eyes. 
as opposed to looking at their body. They move from an object to a human. Look at people's eyes. Look at ladies' eyes. Men, they deserve your attention, but not that kind of attention. They deserve this, I'm concerned about you. I'm looking in your eyes. I want to see the person you are. Not what culture has trained me to look at. Not what every single movie that pops up on the big screen says I'm supposed to focus on, but I'm going to look at your eyes because you're a human. And I believe that you have value because Jesus said, the way that I have loved you, so you love one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. So love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yes, you in the back. Didn't he die for the church? Yes, that's the point. He died for the church. He laid everything down, said, I'm not going to seek to elevate myself. See, because in the culture that Jesus is talking to, men had all the power, right? Men had all the power. Their strength gave them the ability to rule, and they took full advantage of it. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I want you to make yourself weak, for the sake of the women. And some of you guys are like, well, I'm single. So, so since I'm single, that doesn't mean that I have to give myself up for any women, right? No, no, no. You start now the process. Train yourself of what it looks like. Train yourself for what it looks like to lay your life down for your wife. Train yourself now. Train yourself now. See, people think, people think when, when they, and we talked about this two weeks ago, that when the right person comes along, it's going to be easy because we have chemistry, right? How many of you have ever watched a movie where the chemistry experiment went bad, right? And something blew up. Or, or, or you, you've seen a Frankenstein movie where you're like, yeah, that chemistry did not work. Right? So let me tell you something about chemistry. Chemistry is a myth. Chemistry is great when it happens. Mary and I had chemistry when we met, and we were in love. It's amazing. It felt so good. Every time I saw her, I had warm fuzzies. And then we got married, and the chemistry changed. Wait, wait for this for just a second, okay? Because y'all are starting to look at me like, what? Okay, so the chemistry changes. It, it no longer is about just this affection, warm fuzz. You can't, con- you can't keep that without nurturing that. You can if you nurture it, but it has to be nurtured. Prior to marriage, it's all just kind of autopilot. And there's all of these hormones that drive it. And it's like, oh, this is the greatest thing. But then you get married and you realize she puts the toilet paper under 
the thing. And it's all up against the wall. And it's like, that is messed up, girl. I didn't know that you did it that way. You know, you start to get little things that start to crop up. You start to get things, well, what, you believe that? You start to have arguments about politics. And you're like, what? And you start to have arguments about about theological ideas that you thought you were in sync on. And you, you start to have arguments about, well, you want to do that with our finances? Why would you want to do that? We can't spend money on that. I like to spend money on this. And we got, no, we got, and all of the chemistry starts to dissipate. Mary, Mary said, and, and, and she always gives credit, she read it in a book, but I, I think this is such a truth. She says that, that the enemy will do everything he can to get people together sexually before they get married. And after you're married, he'll do everything that he can to break you apart sexually. It's the way that it works. Why? Because sexuality, sex, was de- designed to make two people one. Prior to the marriage covenant, you're not supposed to be one. You're supposed to be two. And then when you get married, the covenant begins, and it is signed with sex. And this, this oneness happens. Well, what does the enemy want? He just wants to reverse God's plan, right? He wants to scramble things up and say, all right, well, I know that God designed this for marriage, so I'm going to try to pervert it so that it happens before marriage. And then after marriage, I'm going to sabotage it and do everything I can to destroy it so their intimacy falls apart, their love relationship breaks away, and then all of a sudden, they find themselves on different sides of the universe. Sex does not create intimacy. However, sex is the fruit of intimacy. If you're just having sex to try to produce intimacy, you're on the wrong track. You have to have intimacy first. And it's based not in what I can get. And guys, hear me out on this. This is not about satisfying your desires. It's not what it's about. It's about creating intimacy and safety and nurturing a relationship with the one that God gave you. That's what it's for. All right. Is everybody uncomfortable? Good, 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 good. We're on the right track. So now, um, Peter is present with Jesus when Jesus goes into the town of Samaria. Remember the story, the disciples try to stop him from going through Samaria, and Jesus is like, no, I want to go right through Samaria because I've got an appointment. And they're like, what's your appointment? He didn't say he had an appointment, but he had a purpose. And we believe that Jesus knows exactly who he's going to meet when he goes into this town, right? He shows up at the well, and there's this Samaritan woman there, and he says, hey, I'm so glad you're here. Because I need a drink. She says, well, I can get you some water. And so she gets the water. And the disciples see what's going on. And they're watching Jesus interact with this woman. And he drinks out of her pitcher, which was meant, first of all, you didn't drink out of a woman's pitcher. Second, you don't drink out of a Samaritan's pitcher. But Jesus goes and he gets right in the mix. And so... So Peter is watching this whole thing transpire. Now listen to what Peter says. Turn to the book of 1 Peter. It's right before Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 3. 
Verse 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Do what? Give what to your wives? Honor. Honor. Hmm. Give honor to your wives. I lost my place. Where is verse 7? There it is. It's, I'm not using my preaching Bible today, so I'm using my old man word Bible. It's got the big letters in it, and I still lost my place. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. Ladies, don't get offended. It just means he can probably beat you in an arm wrestling match, okay? They're, they're weaker than you are, <clears throat> but she is your equal. What? She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. This is revolutionary. In the time this is written, 2,000 years ago, Jewish men literally pray, God, I thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. And, and comes Peter along and says, hey, just because they're weaker, don't you think that you have power over them? They are an equal partner in God. So, so here comes the women's equality movement from a different vantage point, but this one is based on honor. The women's equality movement of today is based on sexual power, right? I want you to hear this because this is important. <clears throat> the, the equal rights for women, and, and I realize that there's, that's kind of a very broad statement, but there's a lot of political hijacking that has taken a place around women's rights, okay? And one of the things that happens is that <clears throat> women are encouraged to use their body to, to apply sexual power over men. Yet women are objectified, and that's one of the central complaints of women's liberation and the equality for women, right? Is that women are objectified. But it's this kind of speaking out of both sides of our mouth, right? Right? Because what we're saying hypocritically is, don't objectify women. Women, use your body to gain power over men. You should have the freedom to sexually entice men, but only on your terms. That's hypocrisy at its finest and deepest. Biblical equality for women is based on honor. Honor is the basis not sexual power. So I want you to hear this. This is so beautiful. It's so powerful. It's so strong. I want you to get it. Listen to the last part of this because this, so, um, this is so powerful. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Wow. So, so some of you, you're in a relationship where you're not honoring your wife, you're not serving your wife, you're not loving your wife, and you're so frustrated with God because God isn't answering your prayers. Peter says, hey, you may need to back up the truck for a second and examine why God's not answering your prayers. He says that if you're not honoring your wife, 
that your prayers will be hindered. You want to jump up your prayer life? Honor your wife. Hey, I didn't even mean to rhyme. Check that out. Somebody needs to put that on Facebook. But women, not you. Let your husband put it on Facebook if he wants to. If you want to ramp up your prayer life, honor your wife. And just cite 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. All right, so here we go. And I'm going to just, I think we've laid a biblical foundation. I want to take the last 15 minutes here to kind of give you <clears throat> some very practical ways to put this into practice. And it's getting ready to get real, okay? Um, because this is important. The most important thing that you can do as a man to honor God in this way is by renewing your mind to think differently. You have to rewire your mental circuitry. Because again, guys, you're fighting a battle. You're fighting a battle, and it's a cultural battle that has waged war on your mind and has done it by demeaning women in the process. It is objectified and turned women into commodities to be observed, traded, looked down on, all in the name of giving women power. Absolute myth. Absolute myth. And everywhere you go, you see it. Every movie you watch. Is there any movie that is produced anymore that does not have a woman in a low-cut shirt or a, uh, a short skirt? Any? I, I'm, I'm literally trying to think of movies. It's just so common. The idea is sell it so that men will watch it. Sell it so men will watch it. Why? Because men are hardwired and charged to look at it. So men, you have to, you have to begin to pull back, <clears throat> rewire the circuitry of your brain to stop looking at women as objects. Stop looking them, at them as sexual tools. This is so critical. One of the things that, that I talk to people about a lot just kind of on a personal level is we have to kind of be aware of what entertains us. If you're watching something on television or in movies that um, has women in pro provocative outfits or in sexualized situations, guess what? That should not be entertaining to you. As a man of God, this should not entertain you. Daniel and I <clears throat> have a rule when we're watching TV, and sometimes it sneaks up on you, doesn't it? How many of you have ever been watching a movie, and everything's going along pretty good, and you think, man, this is a good movie, and all of a sudden, you get an eye full of something, and you're like, why would they do that? Right? And Daniel and I, I love this kind of culture that we've created in our family because as soon as something like that happens, Daniel looks over at me and he locks eyes with me. Because there's two reasons. One is because Daniel and I talk about this all the time. I say, Daniel, you watch my eyes, buddy. Keep me accountable with my eyes because Job 31.1 says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman to lust. So I'm not gonna look at women to lust and I want you to keep me accountable. You watch my eyes but I'm going to watch your eyes. And he's 11. 
and things are changing. Right? And, and pimples are growing. And his voice is starting to get a little lower. And young ladies all of a sudden have a little more appeal. But every time we see something, Daniel immediately, his eyes lock on mine. Why? Because we set up accountability. And we're creating a culture of accountability. This says, you watch me, I'll watch you. I got your six. You need people in your life to have your six. Guys, if you have a cell phone, you need to have some kind of accountability software on your phone. If you have a computer, you need to have accountability on it. I use Covenant Eyes, not because I have a porn problem, but because I want accountability to make sure I never have a porn problem. See, this is the, th this is the myth. We want to solve problems after it's bad. We found out that, that early detection saves you from a world of problems, right? Guys, adults, please don't be naive enough to give your kid a smartphone and not put some kind of um, monitoring on it. How? Come on, guys. Like, just the fact that you used to be a teenager should help you realize that your kid needs some help because we didn't have this when we were teenagers, right? And I remember growing up, there were clubhouses in the woods, right? And in those clubhouses, there was pornographic magazines that some of the boys from the neighborhood had brought in. That was before this was piping it into every living room and playground in America. Remember, the first time I was ever exposed to pornography, it was in my backyard, and some kid comes riding through. We had three-wheelers and motorcycles and all that stuff, and I was standing waiting for my turn to ride my motorcycle, and a kid comes by, and he throws this wadded-up piece of paper at me. And I was like, what is that? And I opened it up, and there was a naked woman in it. Do you know that that image is still in here? It hardwires your brain. It changes things. Those images get in there. And I'm telling you guys, it's not worth it. Covenant Eyes is such a great tool. All it does, I have a friend. He lives in North Carolina. He's not afraid to talk to me about stuff that is a problem. And he calls me all the time, Brad, how you doing? Brad, what's going on? And anytime anything looks out of sorts on my internet history, he can call me and say, hey, what's up? I got a report from Covenant Eyes that said that you were on somewhere. Now, fortunately, he's never had to call me. And I don't ever want him to have to call me. But just knowing that you have some accountability, it creates safety. It creates safety. You don't want to have to try to go back and unscramble eggs. It doesn't work, does it? So set yourself up for success. Men in Teen Challenge, do this. When you get out, when you're out of the, get somebody to hold you accountable on your phone. Do it. It's so important. 
The enemy is looking for every opportunity that he can to destroy you. And he is savage. He is a predator. He wants to crush you. For years, our culture has just made pornography no big deal. It's no big deal, especially in the modern culture, especially in a culture where where these things make it so accessible. There used to be a little bit of shame associated with it because you had to go into that store or you had to go behind the curtain in that room. And, and, and I remember as a kid, there was a, a video store and they had a curtain in a back room and it said 18 and over. And I remember asking my dad, what's, what's in that room? And he said, it's all kinds of nasty stuff, son. It's, it's pornographic videos. And I remember looking at the guys coming out going, you're disgusting. Right? And there was a level of shame, and you would see guys even come out of the room, and they'd kind of have their head down, and they'd kind of go to the back and slip around and try to go down the aisle and, because there was some shame associated with it. Now there's not. Now it's, it's promoted as, oh, come on, everybody does it. It's no big deal. Just porn. Who cares? Except for the fact that now, all of a sudden, it's in the 1940s during World War II, the United States government used to give men as many cigarettes as they could smoke if they were fighting. Until all of a sudden, the Surgeon General comes out and says, wait, this is killing people. You got to stop doing it. Right? And, and, and it's kind of like everybody just said, pornography is okay, just whatever, whatever. It's just porn. It's okay. Now psychologists and psychiatrists are coming out and saying, Whoa, 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 this is killing people. It's rewiring the brain. It's messing guys up. It's changing the way they view women. Violent sexual behavior is on the rise. Rape is, is becoming crazy epidemic. When Bill Cosby, America's dad, is arrested and getting in prison for raping young women. Guys, there's a problem in our culture. There's a problem. And when you, when you start to see this, when you start to see the secular culture take note of what the church has been saying for years, like, no, it's not old-fashioned. It just works, Right? It just works. In cultures, people dehumanize other people as a way of attacking them. In Rwanda, the Tutsis were called roaches and they were to be exterminated, leading to the death of more than 900,000 people. Nazi Germany, Jews were Subhuman, all women were referred to as whores and rats. And so it was okay. Just kill them. Kill them. It's all right. They're less than. They don't have value. Dehumanization always opens the door to cruelty. Before, before the civil rights movement, African-Americans were dehumanized. Separate bathrooms, separate drinking fountains, separate restaurants, separate sections of the city, redlining, 
right? Dehumanize them. Make them property. Make them less than. And you can do whatever you want. The culture is doing this to women. Guys, remember the Beatles had a song said, I want to hold your hand? It was so edgy. 1991, song came out. I want to sex you up, right? That's so mild compared to what's out there now. I'm sitting at a stop sign the other day, and I'm listening to this, our stoplight, and this guy pulls up next to me, and he's got his bass real loud, and I'm, I'm listening to the lyrics. And, and whatever song he was listening to was violently talking about women, sexually explicit. Guys, if you have anything on your playlist that refers to a woman as a bitch or a whore, take it off before the sun goes down today because you are dehumanizing women. It's not okay. It's not okay. We have to have a culture in the church that is a a culture of honor. With pornography, gang, porn is not just a pastime, it's a teacher. Pornography is a teacher. Listen to me, hear me. Pornography is a teacher, and here's what you're learning every time you go to the school of porn. Real bodies are not good enough. Real bodies aren't good enough. One body isn't good enough. And my wife's body isn't good enough or won't be good enough. And, and guys, if, if you're sitting here today and you're like, you know, I hear you, pastor. I'm still going to look at porn. It's, you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Here's what I want you to do. When you start dating a girl, I, I, want you to, I want you to take her to a restaurant, get a nice little romantic corner booth, and sit down across the table from her. And after you get your meal and you're sitting there, I just want you to look her in the eye and I, I just want you to say to her, I just want you to know that your body is not good enough for me and it never will be. I also want you to know that one body isn't good enough for me. I need lots of sexual entertainment. And if we get married, your body is never gonna satisfy me. I just want you to know that, okay? Let's just get this going in. I would rather you set her down and save her the heartache of you living life that way it's destructive and you're killing your marriage before it ever starts you're killing it and the problem we talked about this two weeks ago the problem that we have is that we we think about things in terms of events like oh well it's just one time it's just one thing it's just one this it's just one that No, no 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 it's a step down a path the problem with your your past is that it always shows up in your future See, so, so you've got to make decisions today about your tomorrows. And, and, and one of the things that I always tell people when I talk to them is don't give up what you want most for what you want now. It's not worth it. It's that way with your finances. It's that way with your relationships. Can I tell you something? 
I've been married for 23 years, and what I've learned in 23 years too is being right really isn't that important. It's just not. Like, so what? I'm right. Congratulations. President Bush really was the 43rd. Wow. I know people that have arguments about stuff like this, and I'm like, that was it? Like, so you've blown up, you've gotten angry, you've yelled, you've screamed, you've demeaned your spouse, all to make a point that you were right. Wow. You won the argument, lost the relationship, but you won the argument. So that's good. There's that. Right? So we have to build a culture of honor. This value. I don't care if you tell the story exactly right. Who cares? I, I, I don't care about any, like, I mean, if, like if your wife says Jesus isn't the son of God, okay, we can have an argument about that. But, like, come on. Really? The stuff we argue about? Do you ever evaluate it and go, well, that was kind of dumb. Right? Like we argued over dinner. We just ate. And our stomachs are full. But we argued. Right? It all goes back to honor. I'm going to dig back on porn just for another minute because I think it's important. It's like a drug. Pornography is like a drug. And you always require more. You always require more frequently. And, and it begins to deaden how you feel about normal interaction with the opposite sex. It changes everything. You talk to anybody that is, is addicted to drugs and it starts out where it feels really, really good. And then it feels less good, and then less good, and then less good. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself using just to feel normal. Like, I just want to feel not sick. That was awesome grammar, wasn't it? I just want to feel not sick. So, um, so I, that is what happens to you sexually when porn becomes your diet. You just get deadened. To normal, beautiful, loving relationships. Statistically, guys, statistics are not good on how many men view porn. And straight up, it's not good on how many women view porn. So, like, let's not pretend that this is just a one-sided issue because it's not. So here's what I want you to do. Very important stuff. You need to do some house cleaning, men. Do some house cleaning. You need to cancel some stuff. There's some stuff in your life that you need to cancel because it's too tempting for you. There, there, there are some things in, in your life where you need to give your friends a password to it to make sure you've got some accountability. There's some stuff in your life where you need to bring yourself into relationships of accountability. 
covenant eyes. I'm telling you. If you grab my phone and look at it, I'm not telling you grab my phone. Don't grab my phone because I'll smack your hand. But anyway, the <clears throat> it's got a little thing on the front. It just says, this is activated by covenant eyes and it's monitoring internet activity. Every time I open my phone, I see that little eyeball looking at me. And it never bothers me. It always comforts me. Because I'm like, I'm safe. I'm safe. I can go anywhere with my phone. I can spend a long time in the bathroom with my phone. I ain't even worried because it's safe. Because I have accountability. Make up your mind now to behave differently. Think of, do, the, do this little exercise with me. How many of you have somebody in your life, it's, it's a woman that you think a lot of, you just admire her? You think uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, the queen of England or the president's wife or, you know, famous singer. I don't know. Come on, help me out here. Maybe it's your grandmother. I don't know. Somebody that you have a lot of respect for. And I want you to think about how would you treat her? How would you speak to her? You know, there are so many rules around how you're supposed to interact with the Queen of England, right? Like you can't extend your hand to shake her hand and you got to like, don't make eye contact or like do a curtsy or take your, I don't know what all the rules are, but there's all different kinds of rules, right? And why are they in place to honor her? To show her that she's in a position that deserves honor, right? I think about my grandmother. She always sat in the seat of honor at our family table. Everybody watched the way that we talked to her. The kids, sometimes they would sass mouth their mom or their dad, but nobody ever sass mouthed grandma. Right? And when we talked to grandma, it was, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I don't, yes. Yes, ma'am. I just, you didn't even say, yeah. Like, if you say, yes, yeah, some adult in the room was going to dope slap you in the back of the head. It's gonna be, what did you just say? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no! Yeah. What am I supposed to say again? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Right? There was like a little enforced honor there. I think it would be helpful to have a friend that just dope slaps you all the time. They just walk with you. And whenever they see you checking out a woman, they're like, bap, just right upside the back of your head. And like, whoo, thank you for pulling me out of that. Right? That would just be so helpful. Um, because we need this accountability. So think about this person, this woman that you would honor, and think about how you would want your friends to look at her. How would you want your friends to treat her? I have a 15-year-old daughter that is very pretty, and I see young men look at her sometimes, and I'm like, bro, you don't realize how close you are to a giant preacher's elbow in your eye, but it's coming. And it's going to come, like, with some words of wisdom and instruction and love, but pain, lots of pain. And, and so, guys, you've got to retrain the way that you interact with women. You've got to leverage your strength for her benefit. You've got to honor her. You've got to look her in the eye. Hold the door. I used to be really, and I'm so bad at this now, but I used to be really good at opening the door to the car for my wife. But when we had our second kid, it really changed, because I was always like, we're trying to keep hold of Gracie as she's running through the parking lot, and we've got the little thing with Daniel in it. I'm like, 
no, you just get your own door, okay? I'm going to get this kid in the, get in the car. And I was just like trying to get. And so after that, I kind of fell out of practice of opening the door. But man, for like 15, 16 years, I was a door opening mamby jamby. Not because she couldn't open the door. She's an excellent door opener. I would put her against any door opener in the entire world. She's a fantastic door opener. But what I always thought was, while I'm here, she shouldn't have to open her door. Right? What if we applied this across the board to all the women in our life? Just honor them. Honor, honor, honor. You don't lose anything by honoring others. Did you know that? It takes nothing away from you. It actually increases your stature. And I'm telling you, when you implement a culture of honor, a thought process of honor, it will change everything for you. Pull out her chair. When a lady walks into a room... And all the seats are taken. Check this out. Watch. This is all you had to do. You ready for this? Why don't you sit here? That's next level right there. Right? Used to be, even when I was growing up, that was the thing. Like, you just did that. And now, when you do that, women say, no, 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 no. I always tell, when, when ladies say that to me, I say, no, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm 43 years old, and my mama would still whoop me if I did not stand up and give up my chair for a lady. And Mary knows my mama would whoop me for that. She's not afraid. Practice this. And some of you would say, but they don't want to be honored that way. And there are some ladies in our culture that refuse. I actually, one time I opened the door for a lady and she said, I don't need you to open my door. And I was like, that's okay. I'll open it anyway. And I just held the door. And she refused to go in. And so I just said, well, have a nice day. And I went, but that's the rare exception. That's the rare exception. Most people like it when other people honor them. And they get the chivalry. I want us to be a church where chivalry lives. Right? Chivalry doesn't have to be dead. Like, we can be men of honor. We can be men of honor. I said a couple weeks ago that, that you need to, if you're, if you're thinking about dating, that you should probably take a year off and not do it and just become the type of person that the person you want to marry would want to spend the rest of their life with. I like to say, become the person, the person you're looking for is looking for. Take a year, become that. Men, practice this. For the next year, practice this. If you're already married, check it. You can still do it. It's not too late. And you say, but, but, but you don't understand. My wife doesn't deserve honor. Yes, she does, because Jesus said she does. And, and you'd be amazed at when you start to honor and serve and love without any expectation of reciprocity. It's amazing what you'll watch happen. You'll watch the people around you start to come higher. You'll watch your spouse start to come higher. But it can't be with the intent of getting something in return. If you do that, you're blowing yourself up. 
It's just got to be, I want to serve because I want to be like Jesus. I want to honor because I want to be like Jesus. I want to I love deeply because I want to love like Jesus loved. I'm going to get love right. If nobody else in my family gets love right, I'm going to work with everything that's in me to get love right. That's got to be our model. First century Christian men decided to quit taking their cues from the pagan men around them. And you know what? It changed the world. Literally changed the world. Last week I read, I'm going to read this one more time. First Corinthians chapter 13. Paul makes this statement. He says, when I was a child, verse 11, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put childish things behind me. All of that that was written is in 1 Corinthians 13. Who knows what 1 Corinthians 13 is also called? The love chapter, right? So at the end of the love chapter, the apostle Paul writes, hey, look, When I was naive and gullible and uninformed, I used to think like a child. But now, spiritually, I'm a man. And so I'm going to put all of the childish ways of thinking behind me. See, the way I used to think was I was in it for me. The way I used to think is I don't need to be patient. I expect her to be patient. The way I used to think was I don't have to be self-controlled because I got a woman now, so I don't need to be self-controlled, right? But what he says is, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. Some of you are in a marriage right now that you feel frustrated with and you've lost heart. Don't lose heart because love never gives up. It never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. When I was a child, I thought like a child. But this is the way that I think now that I'm a man. You hear this? What if, what if you became gentlemen? What if you treated every woman that you knew like someone made in the image of your heavenly father? Even the girls that are featured in pornographic videos were designed, they were knit together in their mother's womb by a heavenly father who loves them. And he is grieving over their life. What if we saw every woman like the Heavenly Father does? What if? Guys, can I tell you something? Single men especially, there are a bunch of great women out there who don't think that this kind of guy exists anymore. And if you take a year and become this kind of man, you will put yourself in a very select category of very desirable bachelors. 
I'm just saying. Take a year. And let me, let me tell you what, how this works, too. <clears throat> about three years after you, or about three months after you make the commitment to take a year off of dating, you'll find the woman of your dreams. It's cool. Take a year off dating. And you just put your head back down and be like, okay, Lord, I'm going, I'm doing this, I'm sticking to this commitment. And then when you get about the 10-month mark, you can look up, look over. She's still there. Head down. Stay in your lane. Don't change lanes. Stay in your lane. And just keep going, keep going, keep going. And at the 12-month mark, you will have become, if you work on it, a man that this kind of lady is looking for. And she'll look at you and go, where have you been all my life? That's the goal. Stand with me. I want to pray. I'm not sorry we went long today. This was important. Father, today, I pray that everything that has been said will be taken in a way that brings help, brings strength, brings encouragement, brings life. I pray, Lord, that you would lift up our men God, the world is attacking and destroying men. They're emasculating men in our culture because we've assumed that the strength of men is the problem. The strength of men is not the problem. It's the solution to the problem. We need strong men in our culture. We need men of God who are on focus and on target that will do this 1 Corinthians 13 plan. We need men of God who will love as Christ loved the church. We need men who have the strength to walk through pain and struggle to be the men that you've designed them to be. God, I pray for strong men in the body of Christ to reclaim biblical manhood, to reclaim what it means to be chivalrous and honoring. God, I pray that you would strengthen each man's heart and mind for the task at hand. God, we give them to you. We trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.